The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. We do the digging so you don't have to. We've got breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Bringing you the biggest stories from the industry you care about. This is the Media Noise Podcast. Well, let's hear it. Now, here's your host, Dimitri Ravanos. We are reacting to reactions on today's show. Danny O'Neill is going to join me in a moment. We are going to talk about the media reaction to Colin Kaepernick getting merely a workout with the Las Vegas Raiders. He will be followed by Andy Mazur, uh, who wrote a great piece reacting to the idea from John Skipper uh, that Charles Barkley is the most valuable member of the sports media. Those guys are coming up, but first... The Sports Emmy Awards were handed out this week, and I wonder if we are entering a new era of dominance. Dan Patrick has joked over and over again, and he's had other broadcasters on that have joined in this joke, that if you were at the peak of your career at the same time Bob Costas was at the peak of his, your career was kind of wasted, because he was always taking home that Emmy, right? I think you could probably say the same thing of the regular Emmy Awards. Any comedy show that was out at the same time as Frasier, it, it, I don't want to say was wasted, but it was going to get overlooked at award season because Frazier just hit all the right notes for awards voters. I wonder if we're entering that era with the Manning cast. The broadcast, the alternate broadcast of Monday Night Football on ESPN2 and ESPN Plus took home the Sports Emmy for Best Live Program, and I wonder if we are on the verge of a dynastic run for that show. Certainly the first time it is eligible, it is going to run away with the award because it is just something so different and so new. And as Lee Fitting, the producer uh, of content for, excuse me, the senior VP of production, I should say, at ESPN pointed out, really, this is just a new take on the mega cast, but letting football players just talk football in a conversational setting is something that had an audience. It was a brand new way to monetize Monday Night Football, and I do wonder because these industry award shows are really about patting people on the back that figured out a new way of doing things, right? Figured out a new way of monetizing things. I do wonder if for an extended period of time here, if the Manning cast is going to be rewarded in that regard, because it's not going to stop with ESPN. ESPN has proved that these alternate broadcasts are not going to stop with the Manning brothers and with the NFL. There are all kinds of different avenues we are going to go down, and that gives the networks the opportunity to sell advertising on a single game to the same advertiser two times. On top of that, at least for season one, and you have to assume this going forward, the Manning cast is really good, too. It's a great way to bring in either casual sports fans or... Fans that aren't invested in a particular game. If we are at the beginning of a long, long run of Sports Emmy Awards going to the Manning cast as the best live broadcast in sports television, I think I'm okay with it. Is Colin Kaepernick closer to getting back into the NFL than ever before? Well, I don't know. But he did get a workout with the Las Vegas Raiders this week. Danny O'Neill's a very smart guy. He writes for the site every Friday, and I'm glad to have him on to make sense of this uh, a little bit. The reaction from our colleagues was pretty extreme, Danny, on both sides. What did you make of all that? Well, there's the question that I have is how realistic is it that he gets signed? Right. And, and I guess there's a term there's a term in baseball called eyewash, 
which is when you do something for the appearances, not because of the effect it will have. And my, my fear, and this is a, a fear based on, I, I don't want to see Colin Kaepernick used, is that this is eyewash for teams to look like, hey, we're really exploring, we're taking this seriously. I don't think it's a coincidence that it's the Las Vegas Raiders whose coach was fired last year for saying patently racist and homophobic things in emails. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's a, that that's an accident. And Al Davis was a lot of different things in the NFL, but one of the things that he was was very much a pioneer in terms of racial equity and and gender equity with within the league. The people that he promoted, the people that he hired. So there's that was my initial reaction of like. Hey, I, I hope Colin Kaepernick can still play football. I think it was fundamentally unfair the, the way he would deny jobs, and I think that was because owners were afraid of what the public reaction was going to be to them signing him. I worry that this is no longer about the viability of Colin Kaepernick's career, but more about teams trying to defray, have a carbon offset for some of their bad behavior. (laughs) Right, right. I I like that you said you hope he can still play football. I hope he can still play football, too. I think if this was 2017 or 2018, I would have no qualms about saying it is ridiculous that the guy is not in the league anymore. But he is 34. It has been five seasons since he has thrown a football in an actual uh, NFL game. And so when you see things like Mike Florio saying he could start right now for four teams, like that's great. I, I, I hope that is true and that everything he has been saying is proven correct, that he was always ready to go is true. I just don't know that I'm willing to bet money on it yet. I, I wonder why you think it might be that some folks feel the need to go overboard like that. Certainly we can say that it is realistic to think he's one of the 64 best quarterbacks on the planet, but could start for four to five teams. Come on. Yeah. I don't think anybody knows that at this point. I mean, we don't know what kind of shape he's in. He's avoided the physical wear and tear of playing the game of tackle football, but he hasn't been preparing to play tackle football. Does his understanding of defenses and all of those different things. Is that as sharp now as it was with, with not having played the, the past six years I don't think anyone can tell you whether he's prepared, whether he currently is one of the 64 best quarterbacks in the league or not. I don't think anybody knows that because we've never seen someone come back for that kind of time off. And, and that's where I would say, I think the opinions that you're hearing about Kaepernick's professional viability reflect more the sort of the personal politics of the person making them mm-hmm. or what they hope will happen rather than an accurate appraisal of what his his football skills are at this point. What do you think the media cycle does? Let's say he gets signed, but he's probably not beating Derek Carr out for the starting job. Is this just an off-season story? Is this a story into the season? And then as it becomes painfully clear he's not really going to see the field, it goes away? I, I just wonder how long of a shelf life this has if, let's say, he does get signed. I think it becomes white hot in the off-season. And I think there will be stories and and certainly bigger interviews during training camp. If he's not starting, I don't think that this will be a story at all in the regular season. I think I think it will fade to the back burner, um, kind of much in the same way that Tebow did once that Jet season started, right? Yeah. Like he and 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 Tebow was even getting some opportunities to play. I I I, re, I really think that that's what it will be. That there will be a huge certainly a huge conversation 
when it happens and again when training camp begins. But it's it it's I don't see this continuing into the regular season. Do you think that Roger Goodell is going to want media partners to make that conversation white hot, especially if it happens during a time that runs concurrently with trying to figure yeah. out what happens to Deshaun Watson? Completely. 100%. We've gotten to a weird point, and this is the part that actually makes me mad. This is the part that, that actually, and this is strictly and probably reflects my own personal opinion of the league and the decisions that they've made. We've reached the point where the NFL wants to see him signed because it will reflect positively on him, on the league and on the team that does. And that is so enraging considering that you had 32 different owners collectively decide that we're not going to hire him for any of our jobs at any point in the season when he was still had a viable career when he still was in the prime of his career. And the NFL kind of raised this, well, what can we do? We can't make one of our teams sign him. And now there's a point where I actually think that there's going to be a, a culture. There will be a benefit. There will be positive press that is generated by their signing of Colin, uh, if a team signs Colin Kaepernick. And that is absolutely madness. A topic sweeping the nation, it would seem. Andy Mazur joining me now. Andy, you wrote a piece uh, about Charles Barkley uh, stemming off of John Skipper's comments from a couple of weeks ago that he is the most valuable name in all of broadcasting. And KNBR out in San Francisco gave you the old uh, Lee Corso, the not-so-fast-my-friend-we-have-to-talk-this-out. What was What was that like? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because Charles has been kind of bashing on San Francisco and bashing on the Warriors fans for being obnoxious. He says the city is dirty; it's got too many homeless people. And but it's it's and as I said to those guys, I come on there. It's it's Chuck being Chuck. I mean, this is what you what you expect from this guy (laughs) is the unexpected, right? I mean, you don't know where he's coming from half the time, which is the beauty of it. And where I agree with John Skipper on the fact that you know there are very few people who are willing to go out there and tell you exactly how they're feeling without care in the world for repercussions or how people feel about him because he just doesn't seem to care. And that's what makes him so special. I mean, you know, in, in doing the piece, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking around and seeing how he fits into the whole puzzle with, uh, with inside the NBA. And mm-hmm. there are so many different little roles. And I think that the sum of all those roles really works well together. Now, if you take him out of it, I'm talking about Barkley, that's a bigger hole to fill to me than if, Kenny the Jet Smith left, or if Shaquille O'Neal left. Um, I think the other, the glue to the whole thing, though, is Ernie, because Ernie's got to sit there and try to be a, a traffic cop. I don't, I don't envy him <laughs> sometimes on that show. But, you know, Charles has, has really kind of ascended uh, everything just because you just don't know what's going to come out of his mouth next. And that's what the beauty is. If you hate him, you're still listening. And you're still watching because you want to know what he said. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago with Ian Castleberry, and he wrote about uh, Patrick Beverly, that it's really rare that Charles Barkley, or and I'll, I'll throw Shaquille O'Neal in here as well, um, that, that presence in broadcasting is really rare. Someone that was undeniably one of the two or three biggest stars of the game in their heyday and also is willing to be critical, is willing to say something uh, when they are on the dais. I wonder, as somebody that has worked a lot of play-by-play in, in your career, is the value, or I guess is it harder to achieve maximum value like that in the booth versus in a studio analyst role? Absolutely. 
because you know we don't have you don't have as much time. Yeah. Uh, you know, during a game, you don't have as much time. You know, whether it be on radio or television, to be honest with you. And you know, one of the things that the KNBR guys pointed out to me too is you know that Charles does come up with some things that are not factually or accurate uh, accurate at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you know, you, you can't have that on a play by play broadcast. Whereas you know. On a studio set, you can have somebody come right back at him and say, "No, you're fully. You know what? You know this is this is how it is, and here here's a graphic to prove that you're wrong." And you know, you, you can't do that to your partner on a broadcast. You know, you can't correct the guy on the air. You have to you have to wait till the inning is over, uh, have a chance to pull him aside, saying, "Hey, listen, I think you meant this, but you know, uh, it, it's much more immediate on a studio show, and it's much more. I think the the effect is greater on that studio show because." Now you're opening Charles up to come back at these guys, you know, and say, right. "No, you don't know what you're talking." And, you know, and then, you, then you have a whole new, uh, a whole new issue that, uh, that kind of crops up. So I think it's it's a lot easier to, to deal with that kind of thing and and to showcase that type of a personality on a studio show rather than uh, inside a in, inside a broadcast booth. So the most valuable person in the sports media. I, I wonder if that designation. I, I wonder if you have to be an ex-athlete for that to apply. I mean, certainly Stephen A. Smith has a lot of value to ESPN. I, I, I guess you would say it would be Skip Bayless at Fox. Maybe it would be Colin Cowherd. But either way, my point is, those guys are professional broadcasters. They have been opinion makers for a long time. When you think about that designation of the most valuable, is being an opinion maker kind of only half the equation do you have to be able to fill that analyst role to actually earn that moniker that's a really interesting question you know i i, I think about you know bayless and i think about uh you guys like uh, mad dog russo who you know will have very passionate views about things and have very passionate uh takes on a lot of different things and you know will fight you to the death on them and that's great <laughs> i mean I, you, know, you, you need that but I think, you know, the value of a guy like Barkley and a guy like even, you know, to to some extent, you know, even Tony Romo in the booth, just had how, how outwardly, you know, critical he could be sometimes of the league that he played in, not to the extent of, of, uh, of Barkley, don't get me wrong, but I think you need to have that credibility for having been there and maybe played under different times, you know, because Obviously, Charles was not the main guy. I mean, he was yeah. he was in a in a time where you know Michael Jordan was kind of dominating the scene, and you know, there were others that were uh, were still considered among the greats of the game. I mean, it wasn't the, the Bird Magic situation where you know there's basically two guys running the sport. Uh, there were there were a few guys, but I, I really think that you know it, it comes off a little bit better if you've done it and you've played it, and now you have the, the you know the wherewithal to say, okay, well, this is not like when I when I played. And here's why it's good, and here's why it's bad. And I just think that, you know, the other thing that makes Charles so valuable is that he just doesn't care who right. he <laughs> pees off or anything like that. He doesn't care. And he's got broad enough shoulders where, it, you know, he's going to stand by what he said. And, yeah, the thing I love about him, though, is that he will dish it out, but, man, he can take it. If he's wrong, he's going to wear it, and he knows he's going to wear it. And yep. that's, that's great television, too. So let me ask you this. I think this is a good place to end. So 
When John Skipper said that Barkley was the most valuable guy on television, he told a story about trying to get Barkley to ESPN. This was before Barkley had even debuted on TNT, and he knew he didn't really have a chance because on ESPN, he was going to have to make time to be on SportsCenter. He was going to have to do the daytime shows, whereas TNT, he could just fly in that morning, show up, go on the show, and then turn around and go home as soon as it's done. And we've seen what that has meant for TNT. Barkley, at the end of this contract, which I believe ends after next basketball season, claims he is going to retire. Is his value so high that it would be worth it to give him, say, that Tom Brady level of money every year if it just meant you were getting him on a satellite link from home? You know, he means so much to that show. I wouldn't see why the folks at uh, at Turner wouldn't uh, wouldn't back up a wheelbarrow full of cash at his front door <laughs> right. and say, "Hey, would you like to reconsider? Hey, we got a private jet for you. Hey, yeah, we'll build you a studio in your house." I mean, seriously, I mean, they they need him. I think they they do need him. And that's where we wrap it up today. A big thank you to Danny and a big thank you to Andy as well. You can always find any of the columns those guys or anyone else we have on. Uh, right by going to barrettsportsmedia.com and just clicking on the columns tab or clicking on BSM team. You can see everybody's individual archive there. Talk to you next week, everybody. This concludes our broadcast day. Thanks for listening to the Media Noise Podcast with Dimitri Ravanos. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review and check back soon for new episodes. To stay up to date on the latest sports media happenings, visit barrettsportsmedia.com.